Hey y'all, this is Sharita, and I recover out loud for those who are suffering in silence. You are listening to Black Recovery Talk, a podcast that discusses abstinence and sobriety, open and honestly to remind people they are not alone in a society that glamorizes addiction and stigmatizes mental health. Now on to today's episode. Hi you guys, my name is Sharita, and welcome to another episode of Black Recovery Talk. Now I know I did not upload an episode last week, but I had a rough week and I was in a state of severe ADHD paralysis, which yes, that is a real thing, but I'm back. Something else that I want to update you guys on is I attended the Out of the Darkness walk, which was the walk for suicide prevention, and I had an amazing time. I will post pictures on my Instagram. I ended up raising $150 for the cause, which is amazing. Thank you to all of those who donated. And I think those kinds of walks are very important to help raise awareness and to eliminate the stigma of certain topics such as suicide. And this is a trigger warning because this episode is going to be about suicide prevention as September is suicide prevention month. So if you guys are sensitive to that topic, you can go ahead and click off now. I totally understand, but this is your trigger warning. So I wanted to start off with this quote. You don't commit a heart attack. Instead, you might hear someone say they died from a heart attack. Dying by suicide is the same. When attaching the word committed, it further discriminates against those who lost their battle against a disease. And we will dive more into that conversation. But I do want to share some news in the recovery world. So Angela White just celebrated one year sober. And you may be thinking, who the hell is Angela White? Well, that would be Black China. If you guys do not know who that is, Black China has a child with Rob Kardashian, one of the many Kardashian children out there. But Black China has recently gone on this healing journey of herself. Not only is she now celebrating one year sober from alcohol, I don't know if drugs are part of her story because she did not mention that, but I know she started dissolving her um, like her lip fillers and the fillers that she has in her face. She also uh, went under Jesus Christ. She also underwent surgery to remove her breast and butt implants. I'm just going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. And by little, I mean a lot. From the outside looking in, it seems as if Black China did a lot of things for attention. And by that, I mean she got the breast implants, she got the butt implants, she did a lot of stuff to her face, she attached herself to the Kardashians, and I feel like she subscribed to the whole, uh, any attention is good attention, or whatever that phrase is. And now it seems as if she's finding herself and she's truly loving herself for who she is. Now, I don't want to bash any kind of plastic or cosmetic surgery or anything like that because I myself, I do get Botox and 
listen, when these funds start rolling in, the titties will be tittying. (laughs) I'm doing that for me and not because I feel bad about myself or I'm self-conscious in any kind of way, but it's a decision that I've made for myself because that's what I want to do. You know, I get I get my nails done because I want them done. I get my eyelashes done because I want them done. I do it for me, what is pleasing to myself. And I feel like Black China was doing this for the attention of others or to please other people or worldly people. And it just sounds like she is coming to peace at who she is. And I love that for her. So I'm going to read her caption on Instagram. She recently went on the Tamron Hall show. And if you read any of the articles, a lot of the articles are like a makeup free black China. And I'm like, I mean, (laughs) I get it. But also, no, I don't know that that part rubbed me the wrong way because it seems as if she still does enjoy makeup every now and again. But that's neither here nor there. So back to her Instagram post. September 14th, 2023 marks my one year of sobriety. This year taught me a lot about myself. I made up my mind on September 14th, 2022 that I was done with the alcohol. This process is not easy, but I did it. I plan on continuing practicing sobriety. I want to thank everybody that has been supporting me with this part of my journey. Angela White is unstoppable, smart, beautiful, brave, a great mother, and a great friend. I'm hoping that when you see this, this will inspire you if you are struggling with any addiction. Just know that you can do it and you are worth it. God loves you. It's so many different apps and groups that can help you with this journey, and you're not alone. So so congratulations to Angela White for celebrating one year sober. I love the fact that she is doing this openly as an entertainer in Hollywood because we always see the party life, and we never see the struggles. And I'm so glad that there's more people in Hollywood in their in the entertainment industry that are coming forward and sharing their struggles with drugs and substance abuse because it really humanizes them and it shows people who don't really know how to compartmentalize, you know, celebrities from real life, I guess. And it's showing that They are real people and they struggle just like we do. And she is making it, for lack of a better term, cool to be sober and cool to abstain from alcohol. So I think I think it's amazing. Congratulations, Angela White. So now on to what we are talking about in this episode, and that is suicide prevention. Suicidal thoughts, much like mental health conditions, can affect anyone regardless of age, gender, or background. Suicide is often the result of an untreated mental health condition. And I really want to touch on that. The reason why I have this podcast is because I think it's important to talk about mental health, especially within the black community. Because for the longest time, that has been labeled just something that we, as a community, we don't deal with that. Because having a mental health issue or being mentally ill is a sign of weakness. And as a whole, black people are supposed to be strong. So when you hear that people are dying by suicide, nine times out of 10, 
is because of a mental health condition that people felt they were not able to talk about because of the stigma attached to mental health. Suicidal thoughts, although common, should not be considered normal and often indicate more serious issues. And honestly, I wish I had heard that statement years ago because I assumed that suicidal thoughts were just part of life but apparently they're not. September is Suicide Prevention Month, a time to raise awareness and discuss this highly stigmatized topic. In addition to shifting public perception, we use this month to spread hope and vital information to people affected by suicide. The goal is to ensure that individuals, friends, and family have access to the resources they need to discuss suicide prevention and to seek help. Another quote that I seem fitting is, when someone dies from suicide, Everyone feels bad, wishes they saw the signs, and wishes they hadn't done it. But when someone is suffering with their mental health, no one listens, no one believes them, and they get accused of attention-seeking. As a society, we need to do more. And we're going to talk about what it is that we can do more as a society. So let's talk about who is at risk. While the link between suicide and mental disorders in particular depression and alcohol use disorders, many suicides happen impulsively in moments of crisis with a breakdown in the ability to deal with life stresses, such as financial problems, relationship breakup, or chronic pain and illness. In addition, experiencing conflict, disaster, violence, abuse, or loss and a sense of isolation are strongly associated with suicidal behavior. Suicide rates are also high amongst vulnerable groups who experience discriminations, such as refugees and migrants, indigenous people, people part of the LGBTQIA community, and prisoners. And we're definitely going to talk more about risks later. So alongside the people who are at risk, There are some challenges and obstacles that come with people who attempt to end their life by suicide. And some of that is stigma and taboo, taboo. Stigma, particularly surrounding mental disorders and suicide, means many people thinking of taking their own life or who have attempted suicide are not seeking help and are therefore not getting the help they need. The prevention of suicide has not been adequately addressed due to a lack of awareness of suicide as a major public health problem and the taboo in many societies to openly discuss it. Now, I know when a young person passes away or dies, however you want to phrase it, a lot of people become curious because what could have happened to somebody so young that it ended their life? Was it a car accident was it you know did did somebody unalive them or did they die by suicide was it drugs there's so many different reasons why somebody passes away but when somebody especially a young person dies by suicide it is rare that people talk about it it is rare that people open up and say, hey, my child died by suicide. It is rare that people come forward. It's always, please, please respect our privacy. Please don't ask any questions. I understand it's not polite 
to ask, but I feel like in order to break this stigma is to talk about when people die by suicide, because that can save the next person or the next person or the next person. And again, if if we find out that more people are dying by suicide, then we can look back and see the signs. Because if it was a sign for that person, it could be a sign for the next person. And again, I'm not saying that everybody has to open up or whatever, but I just think it's important to not hide the fact that somebody died by suicide. We don't need to know the details because some of that is personal. However, comma, hey, this person was struggling. We didn't see the signs. They ended up dying by suicide. So here are the signs that maybe you are seeing with your loved ones so you don't have to go through what we went through. As of right now, only a few countries have included suicide prevention amongst their health priorities, and only 38 countries report having a national suicide prevention strategy. Raising community awareness and breaking down the taboo is important for countries to make progress in preventing suicide. The words we use influence our attitudes and behaviors. So altering our language Using neutral phrasing and appropriate words can be an important step in reducing the stigma that is associated with suicide. By reducing the stigma and shame, we can create a space of understanding, increase help-seeking behavior, and improve the effectiveness of care provided to individuals who require support. So how do we do this? Instead of committed suicide, use died by suicide. The word committed is associated with criminal behavior or sin. It makes them perpetrators of crime when in reality they were a victim. So I'm sure you've heard me say multiple times already died by suicide, died by suicide because they did not commit anything. Instead of unsuccessful suicide attempt or a failed suicide attempt, use suicide attempt. You don't have to put the unsuccessful or failed around it. You can also say non-fatal attempt or attempted to end their life because there is no success or lack of success when dealing with suicide. Instead of successful suicide, you say They took their own life or, again, died by suicide. Successful suicide suggests that suicide is the desired outcome and it also associates suicide with success. And I know there's a myth that suicide is the desired outcome because why else would somebody try to end their life? But nine times out of ten, that person is hurting and they feel as if that is their only, their only option, as if there's nothing better out there, as if there's no other help out there, as if there's not therapy or medication or anything else that can help better their lives. You know, a suicide attempt is not a cry for help. It's a scream for help. I've seen plenty of people who have attempted to end their life and they've said that at the very moment that they pulled the trigger or jumped from the bridge, 
that they instantly regretted it. I'm going to try to find this interview with this young man who attempted to end his life by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's just amazing to hear how far he's come since that moment. But also it puts perspective on the people who have died by suicide and knowing that the desired outcome was not to end their life. Their desired outcome was to stop hurting and they hurt so bad that they feel the only escape is to leave this earth. So I'm going to try to find that interview and I'll put it, I'll post it somewhere, probably on my Instagram. Now there are different types of suicidal ideation. I found this chart by Elise Ruriani, which again, I will post on my Instagram and it's laid out in a very succinct way. So I'm just going to go through the different levels, I guess, of suicidal ideation. And they do note that all of these types and levels of suicidal ideation are valid and it doesn't dictate the level of pain, intensity, and or distress that someone may feel. And these levels are not clear cut. They might be moving around. The levels may skip. You may fall somewhere in between, but these are the different types of suicidal ideation. At the bottom, no thoughts. There are no thoughts of suicidal ideation. The next ideation, random intrusive thoughts. So that's passing thought or curiosity like, what if I just jumped when waiting for a train? Intrusive thoughts. Because intrusive thoughts are strong. And those kinds of intrusive thoughts are different from if the person has chronic suicidal ideation. The next level would be thoughts of, of morbidity. Morbid, morbidity, yeah. Morbidity. Thinking about their own death and dying, but not specifically by, by suicide. Something like that would be, I wish I wouldn't wake up or I wish I were dead. The next level, suicidal thoughts with no intention and no plan. So thinking about killing themselves, but no details and no intention to act. And something like that would sound like, I should just kill myself or I wish I could just kill myself. The next level, suicidal thoughts. So they have a method, but they have no plan or no intention on acting on that method. So that would sound like, I've thought about overdosing, but I'm not going to do it. Suicidal intent with no plan. So they intend to kill themselves, but they don't have a specific plan. So it's, I think I'm going to kill myself, but I'm not quite sure when. The next level would be suicidal with plan and intent. So they have a specific plan, such as how, when, and where, and they intend on carrying it out. So that would sound like I'm going to overdose tomorrow at home. And then the final level would be suicide attempt. So they attempt to kill themselves by either initiating the plan or they do it impulsively. Now, honestly, besides the suicide attempt and the suicidal with plan and intent, I've experienced every single one of those. And I honestly thought those were normal thoughts. I don't know why, but I did. 
And now hearing that they're not normal, it's like, wow, I was really depressed. But we're not going to go into details. But I just want people to know that these ideations are common, but they are not normal. And we are going to talk about resources to help people who are having these suicidal ideations. Because again, now let's talk about some reasons why someone may not reach out for help if they are experiencing suicidal ideations. One, they are ashamed of their struggle. Again, there is nothing wrong with having a mental illness because there are tools and resources to help combat the illness that you are dealing with. Two, they are scared they'll be hospitalized instantly. Baby, I done been in a hospital (laughs) and it is not for the weak. And I promise you, I would never want to go back. But now I know there are options and choices before I reach that point. So that's not always true. Three, they don't feel they have a safe space to talk about their suffering. Four, they don't want to be accused of attention seeking. Five, they're worried they'll be criticized for how they're handling things. And this goes along with People not validating other people's feelings. Six, they don't want to burden others with their problems. People care. Seven, their struggle doesn't align with others' perception of them, such as being the strong one. Everybody struggles. Eight, they feel like they'll be misunderstood. Nine, they're so overwhelmed they don't know how they'd communicate their thoughts or feelings to others. Ten, They feel unworthy of support. That goes hand in hand with mental illness and depression. 11, they fear they'll be dismissed or be given overly simplistic advice like cheer up or fake it till you make it. 12, they're worried they'll be judged more than they'll be understood. 13, they're worried others won't be free and they can't cope with another rejection. Usually when you're at that point and somebody says, hey, I'm busy or hey, call me back in 10 minutes, that's just that's just another blow to the chest. 14, they're worried if they do open up, they won't be able to stop the flood of emotions that will follow and they'll overwhelm you. And 15, they don't want their loved ones to be concerned for them. And this is kind of a catch 22. Because they don't want their loved ones to be concerned for them. But if they end up dying by suicide, then their loved one is stuck grieving that loss. Trying to figure out what they could have done better. Or what they could have done to help the situation. So those are some of the many of reasons why someone may not reach out. And it's important to understand that. For if and when you see the signs or recognize the signs of somebody who is struggling with suicidal ideation. And what are those those signs? There's different kinds of signs. There's verbal signs such as people saying, I feel like a burden or I don't want to exist anymore. It would be so much easier if I wasn't here. Everyone would be better off without me. I feel so trapped. And those are just some verbal signs that you may hear. And any comments about death, 
dying, suicide, or their own existence should be taken seriously. And that's how I ended up (laughs) in a hospital because people took what I said seriously. Emotional signs, depression, guilt, shame, helplessness, hopelessness, humiliation, anger, emptiness. And you guys, these aren't just signs for you looking out for a loved one. These are signs that you can see within yourself as well. Because you can't see humiliation. You can't see hopelessness. You can't see emptiness. So these aren't only signs to look for in somebody else. These are signs that you need to look within yourself. Some physical signs. Sleeping issues. Either sleeping too much or not sleeping enough. A decreased concern about their physical appearance. Poor hygiene. And some behavioral warning signs are loss of interest in activities, isolation or withdrawal from friends and family, increased use of substances, giving away possessions, seeking out lethal means, researching methodologies, engaging in reckless and or risky behavior, and saying goodbye to loved ones. So these are all the signs Not all, but these are some of the signs. This is just a like a generalized version of some signs that you may see within yourself or somebody else that insinuates that they may be suffering or dealing with suicidal ideation. So earlier we talked about who was at risk, but these are some more risk factors that may lead to somebody attempting suicide. These risk factors are situations or problems that can increase the possibility that a person will attempt suicide, but this does not mean that they will. So some individual factors, chronic pain, terminal illness, mental illness, legal or financial stressors, unemployment, substance misuse. Chronic pain, terminal illness, mental illness, these are all things where you physically feel like you will never get better. I guess terminal illness, that could be something completely different. But chronic pain and mental illness, at times there may seem that there is no other escape or there will be no relief from what they are feeling. Thanks, healthcare system. And that's why some of those people may feel the need to attempt suicide, whereas legal and financial stressors, unemployment, those types of things. It's, you know, people feel as if the world or if their situation will never change. They they feel like they will never get out of the debt. They feel like they will never get a job so they can get on their feet so that they could put a roof over their head. And then substance misuse, that's its own other ballpark because substance misuse leads to a whole other world of mental illnesses. Some relational factors, history of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, bullying, which is why we talk so much about not bullying children specifically, but just not bullying in general, relationship problems, breakups and divorce, the death of a loved one, being socially isolated, they lack a support network, 
a lot of these reasonings deal with not knowing, not having healthy coping skills. I can speak personally for breakups because that is something that has led me to a thought process or a thinking pattern that is so unhealthy, especially for something that is situational, (laughs) such as a breakup. And then physical, emotional, sexual abuse, those types of things are also taboo. Maybe not physical abuse, but emotional and sexual abuse for sure are very taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody ever wants to own up to the fact that their loved ones may be doing the emotional or the sexual abuse. And so instead of holding the perpetrator accountable, it's always the fault of the victim. What did the victim do? What was the victim wearing? How did the victim act? So yeah, that can lead to somebody thinking that there's nothing better than to just leave this earth since it's their fault that they were abused. So some other risk factors that are community and social, people who are ashamed to ask for help, internalized stigma. Another thing would be has become aware of an increased number of local suicides or an or an increase in media coverage of deaths by suicide, which, again, that's another catch-22 situation. Because how do we prevent suicide without talking about it? And if hearing about suicide is triggering to somebody, it just, does that repeat the cycle? Does it stop more people? So we have to find that balance of, talking about, maybe talking about it before it gets to that point. Somebody who lacks access to health and mental health services. Thank you, healthcare system. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Social, economic, and systemic oppression. Some people do not feel that oppression exists. Or some people feel that people paint themselves out to be a victim. But when you hear of a an innocent person being shot by the cops day after day after day, that weighs on a person. You know, hearing that an innocent young black man or child has been shot by the cops, by somebody who is supposed to protect them and they were doing nothing wrong. And then you hear people justifying why that 12-year-old or that 14-year-old or that 22-year-old well, they shouldn't have been doing this. Well, they shouldn't have been doing that. That weighs on people because that could easily be them or their family member or their child or their cousin or their nephew. Prejudice and discrimination. This is why black recovery talk is a thing because there still is prejudice and discrimination out there and racism. And if there's no safe space to talk about issues and commonality, it can be lethal. So now that we know some of the signs and the risk factors, let's talk about prevention. So have you picked up on some warning signs? Are you worried about someone? Here's what you can do next. Start the conversation and be direct in your questioning. Ask, are you thinking about suicide? And avoid saying things like, you're not going to do something stupid, are you? Listen. So actually listen to the person. Take all words, threats, and or attempts seriously. Do not minimize their feelings. Reassure that person that you are there for them and that they're not alone. Work with them to find a way forward. 
How can they address their difficulties? Can they find therapy, a support group, or a network of supportive friends? Help them make a safety plan and stay connected and check in on them. A lot of this sounds easy, but having those conversations are so hard and so difficult, but they are necessary and they can quite literally save a life. Now we're going to talk about the do's and the don'ts of helping somebody that you may feel is dealing with suicidal ideation. Do check in on your loved ones. Don't call someone who is suicidal attention seeking. Do reach out to those who are going through a tough time or have socially withdrawn. Don't make someone have to prove how much they're suffering. Do listen empathetically. Don't criticize and shame them for how they're handling things. Do create a safe space where one can talk openly. Don't call them selfish and make their suffering about you. Do help those who are suicidal find meaning, purpose, and hope in their life. Don't point out people who have it worse or try to guilt trip them for being ungrateful. Do continue to support and uplift others. Don't minimize their suffering, such as saying things like, we all get sad from time to time because sadness is a feeling. Depression is not. Do talk openly and matter-of-factly about suicide. Don't lecture them on the value of life. Do listen, allow expressions of feelings, and accept the feelings. Don't debate whether suicide is right or wrong or whether feelings are good or bad. Do get help from people or agencies specializing in crisis intervention and suicide prevention. Don't dare them to do it. Do offer hope that alternatives are available, but do not offer glib reassurance. Do take action, so remove means like weapons or pills. Don't be sworn to secrecy. Seek support. And the last thing I want to talk about is 988. Now, what is it? 988 is a national suicide and crisis lifeline helping individuals facing mental health crisis. Crises? Crises? While it became available over a year ago, 82% of Americans are still unfamiliar with the resource. And here are some things to know about the lifeline. 988 is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To be connected to a counselor, just call or text 988 or chat at 988lifeline.org. You can contact the Lifeline for any kind of emotional distress you or a loved one are experiencing. What can you expect when you call? You'll be connected to a Lifeline Network Crisis Center. A trained crisis counselor will answer your call, text, or chat and listen to understand how your problem is affecting you or a loved one. Your counselor will work with you to develop an appropriate plan and share resources to other support in your community. I'll have all the information of 988 on my social media, mainly my Instagram. I'm working on the other ones, I promise. And if you are unsure about 988, there are other suicide prevention resources, such as the crisis text line. You can text HOME to 741-741. There is also the Trevor Project, which I know specializes for LGBTQIA plus youth. The Veteran Crisis Line, 
the Trans Lifeline, and the National Alliance on Mental Illness Helpline. And again, I'll have all of this all over my social media. So if you guys know anybody who is struggling or if you yourself are struggling, there are all these resources that are available and accessible so that you or them can get the help that they need. So to wrap things up, suicide is a leading cause of death. It is death caused by injuring oneself with the intent to die. A suicide attempt is when someone harms themselves with any intent to end their life, but they do not die as a result of their actions. Many factors can increase the risk for suicide or protect against it. Suicide is connected to other forms of injury and violence. For example, people who have experienced violence, including child abuse, bullying, or sexual violence, have a higher suicide risk. Being connected to family and community support and having easy access to health care can decrease suicidal thoughts and behaviors. So that is it for today's episode. I know it was a little heavy, but it is necessary to have these conversations because it will end the stigma and the taboo. And maybe as we get more acquainted, we get, you know, closer then maybe I can start sharing some personal stories. But this is Black Recovery Talk, so I'm just laying out the information first, and then we can get to know each other because y'all might go spread my business to people who don't need to know my business. So thank you guys so much for listening, and until next time, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye! You've reached the end of another episode of Black Recovery Talk. For free resources and materials, head over to blackrecoverytalk.wordpress.com. Connect with me on social media at Black Recovery Talk on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads, and BLK Recovery TLK on Twitter. Come back often and make sure to subscribe, share, and leave a positive review on whatever platform you enjoy your podcast to help support the show further.